from John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to the fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put it on a sponge full of the vinegar on hyssops and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed up his head and gave up the ghost. Much of the world tonight is ignoring this day. Most of the world has not grasped the meaning of this day. And we should not be surprised that that is the case. For St. Paul, shortly after the death of Jesus, only a few years, faced the same situation. For he writes in 1 Corinthians about himself addressing the church in Corinth, which was attracted to different preachers, different teachers. He writes beginning in verse 10 of that first chapter, I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no dissensions among you, but that you be unified in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, my brethren. What I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I am thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he goes on to add in a few verses later, For Jews demand signs and Christ and Greeks, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called both Greek and Jew, Christ the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Just tonight we talk about an event. We preach a message that falls on deaf ears for the most part. To those who look for religious authentication as did the Jews and even sadly in, in our time preachers preach about miracles and preachers preach about wealth and great throngs come. But those things are superficial to the essential point. And scholars of our time proclaim not only the message of the cross, foolishness, but even the whole of our Holy Bible as false, as a myth, as merely one religious book among many. But those of us who have been redeemed know better. We know that the cross is the most important event in the salvation of souls. We know that. As you know, one of my favorite preachers is Charles Spurgeon, and, and he, after a time in his ministry there, he founded a preacher's college that is still going to, on today in London, still turning out in that land evangelical preachers of the Word of God needed there, needed here. And his advice to all of them is that whatever text you choose, make sure you take your hearers to the cross. And why would he say that? He would say that because the cross is the most important event in the history of the world. And whether you are aware of it tonight, it is the most important event for you personally that there is. God knew from the beginning that man would fall into sin just as every person in this room, myself being the chief of sinners, has fallen into sin. The true Christian confesses that he is a sinner and that there is nothing about his life to commend it. Albert Durer was a famous engraver in the medieval period of history. He was a German. And he did lots of engravings. I used to have a number of them, but you know, as life moves on, you discard things. Sometimes you wish you had kept them. But I used to have my study wall up until I went to Hawaii lined with his engravings. 
my great friend Donald Moore, the preacher who was preaching the night I was saved, and I shared a common appreciation for one of Durier's engravings in particular. And it is an engraving of Christ on the cross just after his death. And standing beside it is a man in rags pointing up to the cross. And the face of that man is Durier himself. And he's giving a testimony in his art that he, a ragged and lost sinner, had but one hope. One message of consolation. One place of assurance. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Those who know the Old Testament and God's plan of salvation know that when God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments, he gave to Moses the definition of what true righteousness is, what it will look like. And as it begins, he he gives the commandment that every person upon the earth has broken. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All of us have broken that law. Did you know that? Through some choice we have made where God and his will has been made secondary to our will. And we have devoted our lives, perhaps, to something other than God. Now, we may not have broken the law of adultery physically, but the eye has often led us into adultery of the heart. So when we stand before God's holy law delivered to Moses, defining righteousness, no honest person who truly examines their own heart would claim any righteousness for themselves at all, for they have broken the covenant. And with that law comes the promise of death and judgment to all who break that law. And throughout the Old Testament, there, there is a, a constant effort to try to deal with sin from the establishment of, of uh, sacrifice on the Day of Atonement to all sorts of things. And yet the Old Testament says, as, as sincere as you may believe, the blood of animals does not suffice. Symbolic, yes. 
but it does not suffice for the covering of our sin. The Bible is clear that only those who are righteous shall stand in the presence of God. And that the punishment for disobedience, as I repeated, I will repeat what I said earlier, is death and judgment. And so, standing before the Holy God, we, we, we rightfully are overwhelmed with our guilt. We are rightfully overwhelmed with, with the prospects of the results of our sin. Paul cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall free me? It is grace when the Lord leads you to that place where you recognize your sin, you recognize your lostness. All pretense of your righteousness, all pretense of of significance is blown away. And you see yourself as you are. Where we are brought to that moment that reflects reality, when we do not come to to the tabernacle, the place of worship, and and look unto heaven as did the, the Pharisee and say, oh Lord, I thank you that I am not as other men. Deception. The man was deceived. He could look to all of his good works, but But if the Holy Spirit caused him to focus on the depths of his heart, on the thoughts that he had, the uncleanliness of him, he he would never say what he said because he would realize he is just like all other men. But rather in the grace of God, our eyes are open and we look into our hearts and our prayer is not his prayer. Our prayer is the publican standing there, acknowledging, not just acknowledging it in words, but knowing in the depths of his heart his spiritual state, and, and, he, and he cries out, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Praise God for those who pray that sincerely. For they and they alone have come to the place where they need to be to recognize that we cannot help ourselves. Work as hard as you can to pile up your karma. I tell those Indians that all the time. Work as hard as you can to pile up all this good karma. You know it will never be enough. To stand before a holy God. Jesus came into the world for this purpose. Because on that cross, remember this, the Old Testament was a covenant. 
It had to be fulfilled before we would stand in the presence of God. And it never had been fulfilled until Jesus of Nazareth, the begotten Son of God, not a creature only, but the begotten Son of God, kept the law perfect. As the scriptures teach us, he was like us in every way. Isn't that comforting to know that, isn't it? He understands. He was like us in every way except sin. And when Jesus fulfilled the old covenant by keeping it to the letter and to the spirit, everything changed with regards to the, the law of Moses, to the old covenant. Everything changed you see, because it was completed. And through Christ, it was set aside as a means of judgment. You know, that's what the law does to an unrepentant sinner. It judges them. Incidentally, it... Uh, is still in effect as far as revealing the holiness of God. But it is not in effect as a legal document which condemns us if we are in Christ. So in completing that law, what remains? God's justice demands payment. I'm sorry. But God's justice requires death and judgment. Now that judgment and that penalty resides entirely upon us. Jesus didn't deserve it. He kept the law, didn't he? He didn't deserve punishment. He didn't deserve the hell of being separated from God. We do. Right? Can I get an amen? I hope you're not sleeping. And, and so God knew that and God knew what was needed. The perfect Lamb of God. You know that is so symbolic. Lambs were slayed, didn't do the job, did they? But then there came the perfect Lamb of God. And we, we should always also always think in a sense of the cross as an altar of sacrifice. And this perfect Lamb of God went to the cross. And after having been beaten all night, you know, last night after I went home, I, I, I thought through the evening hours that of him in the, in the Pretoria there in Jerusalem being beaten and ridiculed. 
punished. Not that he deserved it, but that I deserved it. And then he picked up the cross. It would have probably been very early in today if we'd run on the time because of the time span. But, but he picked up the cross and he, he began that walk through Jerusalem. Surrounded by people jeering at him. Some of the same ones who had the, the previously uh, been praising him and shouting hallelujah. The pain of, of having his skin ripped off of him and suffering all night. And as, and as he struggled under that cross, he began to fall. And a man was pulled from the crowd to carry the cross for him. A man whose name has gone down in history. And he reaches the place of the skull, which is called Golgotha. And there between two thieves, he was nailed to that cross and raised up and began a number of hours of suffering on that cross. And tonight I'm not going to go into all the details. You can go home and read your Bibles for yourselves. But, but he began that suffering. And then... He cried out, as the Old Testament prophesied he would, I thirst. And we know they gave him vinegar and hyssop, which is a form of pain relief in those old days. And then immediately he cried out. It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. Now what did he mean? And I'll conclude here by saying that it was finished. His suffering in the body on the cross was finished when he died. But there is something more profound in that phrase. The penalty that you and I owed was finished in him. Because he suffered our death, our judgment. As we have come to faith in Christ and put all our hope and dependence upon him, it is finished. Someday I will physically die unless the Lord returns. It matters not 
whether I live until he returns or whether I die, because the joyful product of Christ on the cross will be mine, whatever. You see, my death, my separation from God, which I deserve because of my sin, is washed away in that precious blood that flowed down from the cross. He finished all of that separation from God. He finished all of that judgment of death. It's done for you believers. Can you rejoice and be glad in that? Oh yes, it cost God a great price, but, but, but your sense of hopelessness before your sin is finished. It's done. It's washed away. How is it that Isaiah says when the Messiah comes? He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they be as red as crimson, they'll become as wool. It's finished. For Christ upon the cross gave us a righteousness that we could never attain. Because I love that phrase that, that Spurgeon uses, that when we stand, we can stand before God as righteous because Christ stood for us on the cross. The old rugged cross. The old rugged cross. Every time a believer sees a cross on a steeple, they know it's finished. Every time we walk into the church and behold this cross, we know it's finished. How else can we behold the cross tonight? not remember the words of the beloved Apostle Paul. A man who knew his sin and knew that Christ had delivered him from sin, death, and the judgment. Incidentally, Christ paid the judgment too. On his death, he descended in the hells which, which is to be separated from the Father forever and ever he entered in that and knew that pain so you'll never have to know it how can we not say with Paul tonight thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ amen let us stand amen